Pastors all over the connection today, as in Methodist churches all over the country and beyond. Ministers are standing for the first times in their churches, having been or about to be welcomes. First words are important, and those words, what's a person like you doing in a place like this, were one of the first words that were spoken to me when I went to theological college. Let me explain. They were from somebody who, having learnt that I was a secretary and probably from Leicester and probably a few other pieces of information about me, couldn't quite compute that God might be calling such a person to ministry. Actually, they also echoed my own internal feeling. What on earth is a person like you doing in a place like this? And as Methodist stationing system works, ministers and people are put together and quite often their appointments are a matter of gossip, rumor, speculation. What do you know about this person? What, what have you heard about them? What do you know about this church? What have you heard about them? And hopes and fears, dreams, visions are shared galore. And then that moment happens when what has hitherto only been spoken to on the briefest of meetings becomes the reality. Well, let no one be in any doubt. All Methodist ministers are stationed where they are by the decision of the Methodist Conference as a result of that Methodist dating agency, which is called the Stationing Matching Group where profiles, you think I'm joking, not everybody likes me saying it, but it is a dating agency. How else would you describe a system where ministers are invited to produce profiles and circuits are invited to produce profiles, conversations are had with chairs of district both ways, and then the chairs of district together with others sit around a table and prayerfully discern who is best matched with whom across the connection so that the best fit for the whole of the connection is actually fulfilled in the hope that in this church, this discipleship movement shaped for mission, ministers and people will accept one another as they are with all their strengths and with all their weaknesses, in all their humanity, with the Spirit of God moving within them and between them, and ask, who will we be for Christ today? How can I be the minister that I'm called to be in this place? How can we be the church that we are called to be in this place? Being instruments and agents of God's kingdom in partnership with all who will work with us. Like a good arranged marriage, with that system we don't have to waste time asking whether we've chosen wisely. We have not chosen we have been sent. Rather, we spend time asking, who are we in Christ? What is Christ calling us to do today? And how can we best equip ourselves and draw out the best in one another that Christ crucified, resurrected, ascended, might be proclaimed and the Spirit move within us. In the beginning, we know so little about each other. 
That's true on any relationship. It's based largely on what we've heard or what others have told us on that rumour and speculation. Always only a small part of the whole and not always accurate, for it takes a lifetime and beyond to get to know one another fully. Some of Martin's credentials you will know. A former General Secretary of the Methodist Church, former Principal of Cliff College, former Circuit Ministry, a doctor. Thank you, Darren. Martin will have to decide whether he's going to be called Doc Martin here or not, but you've offered the possibility. A missiologist, an author, Something that not everybody might know, but I learnt to my cost, is he doesn't like to be disturbed when watching Match of the Day. <laughs> and he's a pretty good chef. I won't tell you what he does when he's disturbed when he's watching Match of the Day, but you need to know that. And I don't know what you've heard about Central Hall, Martin. I know that you've been, uh, I know that you've been on a tour of the building, and therefore you know something of its history, the Million Guinea Fund, um, a great forward movement of Methodism that wanted the gospel to be proclaimed to the masses um, at the end of two centuries ago now. You've heard about the inaugural meeting of the United Nations, I'm sure, where this church was willing to step aside in order that that critical meeting could have a home. As you talk to people, you will hear, no doubt, of Sankster, who filled the galleries and provided shelter in the war. You'll hear of people who know it because Gary Barlow was here, or Queen. You'll know it because people came to a conference here, or worse still, sat their exams here. Hopefully, too, you will hear of it as a place where people came to faith, where they found healing and where their discipleship with our Lord Jesus Christ was strengthened. But that's only a part. And none of it, all that's gone before, all we've heard, all of our own self-understanding and identity should constrain us today. Yes, they inform us. Yes, we build upon them. But the question is, who are we called to be today in the here and now, in this place, with these people? What is God asking of each of us as we seek to minister today in this place, where people are in search of meaning, where people long for relationships which have depth and know that they are part of community? In a city of great contrasts, in a world of violence, of poverty, of refugees, of those seeking for the basics in life. The question of identity is key to that gospel reading. Who do others say the Son of Man is? What have you heard? And the disciples offer a little summary of who they've heard that Jesus is. But you, plural you in the Greek, all of you who are faced before Jesus, by extension those of us who are here today, who do you say that I am? 
can almost imagine half the silence from some of them wanting to squirm away. Well, I don't quite want to say. Much more comfortable saying who others are. And those of us who are introverts might just have sat back and thought about it for half an hour before wanting to make a response. And Peter, impetuous Peter, jumped straight in there, entirely in keeping with character, and says, you are the Messiah, the Son of the living God. And he gets all the praise of Jesus piled upon him. You are Peter, the rock, and on this rock I will build my church. On this rock I will build my church. The rock and foundation of faith. The rock and foundation of this man who had a serious case of foot-in-mouth disease, who in turn got it so gloriously right, and then immediately goes on to show how little he understood of what it meant for Jesus to be the Messiah, or what it meant to be a disciple. Peter, willing, eager, coming as he is before Jesus, being truly himself as Jesus builds the church on him, and not only him, but the fellow disciples and indeed all who would offer themselves to him. And Peter stands for all disciples. As we come as we are, as God takes the basic raw materials of who we are, doesn't transform usually our personalities or our backgrounds, but we see them in a new light when we come face to face with the living God he can use all that is offered to him. What's a person like you doing in a place like this? I've heard the call of Jesus Christ to follow. I've heard the call of Jesus Christ to serve. And you know what? It may be a joke, but somehow God takes hold of what we offer and transforms it in mission. After all, look at the modern-day successor of Peter in Rome. God calling someone as a former nightclub bouncer to be Pope. And what a Pope he's proving to be. Every bit the person who needs to get on with people. Every bit the uh, not quite conforming to the normal background. And going off and exercising discipleship in the post to which he is being called whilst keeping true to himself and true to his calling as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And through it, the church and indeed the world are being transformed. Peter got it so right, and then as we see, got it so wrong. As he thought he understood who Christ was and what it meant to be the Messiah, Jesus spoke of suffering, of death, of the difficulty that would be before him, and Peter says, no, it can't be. This cannot happen to the Messiah. Jesus says, get me behind me, Satan. You're a stumbling block to me, setting your mind not on divine things, not on God, but on human things. A rebuke to all of us as we seek to know what discipleship is, as we seek to understand what our mission is. 
a warning that all too often that is coloured by our human perception, our human needs for success, our human needs to be at the centre, whatever it is for each of us. Christ calls us to set our minds on the things of God. In the Acts reading, it comes after, read what goes before, an incredibly powerful sermon by Peter, after which 3,000 were added to their number. Peter, by that stage, had a fuller understanding. He'd indeed seen the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He'd received the Holy Spirit within, and this raw material had been transformed into being an apostle, one on whom the church would be built. The scriptures, as we open the word with one another, as we glean the insights that the Holy Spirit has put us from one another, as we share and build on our understanding and listen to those who differ from us, then surely our understanding of who Christ is, who Jesus is, builds and grows, and we learn and grow in faith and understanding of one another. They devoted themselves to prayer. And Martin, you will find that this is a praying church and needs to keep on being a praying church as we seek the mind of God. And as they prayed and as they sat around the teaching, they shared their resources. They gave of what they had. And no doubt some cases they tried to give of what they didn't have. You don't see them saying, if only we had X, Y, and Z, if only, other than in a longing for it and a praying for it. They shared of what they did out of glad and generous hearts, and in so doing, they lived out the gospel so that none were indeed, and all were increased in their knowledge and understanding of the living Surely this is, amongst many other things, what it means to be a discipleship movement shaped for mission. It's one of the many gifts you've contributed to the church. It's one that no doubt many of us have misunderstood and some of us have understood. And as we are wont to do, we grasp hold of it in our own understanding. One picture of many. But as Martin comes among you, and joins the team of incredible ministers who are already in this place, lay and ordained. And as God adds to the number those who will worship in this place as disciples, who will come to faith, who will be strengthened in faith, may none of us ever think we have a full understanding of what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. For we, like Peter and those first disciples, are called to share in prayer, in study, in fellowship together, to offer of what we have to the living God, to be transformed by the presence of his Holy Spirit, and seek to give generously of ourselves and our gifts, of our resources, that this world might be 
and see something of the love of God for all and come to know Jesus as Lord and Saviour and be a place where none go in need and all live in safety. In some traditions, this service at the welcome of a new minister is marked by the handing over of the keys. Not so within the Methodist Church, usually. It did happen on Friday. Not so usually. Rather, it's marked by how the Methodist Conference wishes us to mark it. In a service that is the same all over the connection. A service that is not just asking Martin to make promises at the start of a new phase of his ministry, but rather asks us all, whoever we are, whyever we're here, whether we worship regularly or whether this is just an occasion we've come to support or as a sign of our partnership working together. We're called to make promises Martin, I'm going to be asking you whether you'll hold before us the story of God's love and mercy and above all the gospel of Jesus Christ, our Saviour. Will you hold before us God's call to holy living? Will you hold before us God's commitment to human community? I hope you're going to answer, I will. There's no get out of jail free clause here. You've been stationed by the Methodist Conference and that amongst other things is what the Methodist Conference asks of you. There's not even the with God's help we will, I will. I'll only do it if God helps me. It's a decision of will. I will. This is my intention as I come into this place. These among other things I will do. But out of that humanity that without God's help, surely it is impossible to do things in this age. And so he will answer in each case, I trust. I ask God to help me. And then go on to say some words to us. Let's hear them. Let's take them away, for they are on the supplementary sheet in the order of service, and reflect on them. I invite you to join with me in proclaiming the gospel of life and hope. I invite you all to join with me in commitment to the way of Christ. I invite you all to join with me in sharing God's all-embracing love. Can we renew, or for the first time, make our commitment to do those things today? In confidence that through Christ we do have good news to share in the here and now that we do seek to glorify not ourselves, but Christ's way through our words and example. And our prayer is that we may indeed respond to Christ in all we meet. You have been matched as we make our promises to one another. May we look to what God will do as we work together for the sake of the kingdom in the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen.